0: What's up? It's Infinite Cast.
1: The Bye Bye Man. The. Bi- <laughs> it just came to me in my head. The Bye Bye Man. Was that that
0: was a real movie, right? Yeah. The, uh, by, the th- Bye Bye Man. man. <laughs>
1: be careful! Don't you must behave, or else you'll be visited by but the Bye Bye Man. man. <laughs>
0: Uh, failed horror franchises, right?
1: Well, so I mean, the I if I remember correctly, the per, the woman it, it was directed by a woman, and it's like a, a a you know obviously female directors, there are like barely any of them. Mm-hmm. And then she got one of those really bad, like glue Gehrig ALS or oh, whatever. Oh yeah, and that was her last movie. It was like her last movie, but she was trying to make like one more movie when she was basically like. In, in, Completely paralyzed, communicating via like blinking her eyes, and was like going to try to like get behind the camera again. I have no idea what happened to her. I assume she's probably no longer here. But uh, that's that's the Bye Bye Man.
0: Rip the director of the Bye Bye Man.
1: Yeah, tr- a true fucking legend. Should we, <laughs> should we watch the Bye Bye Man?
0: Maybe it's Halloween. No, we got to watch the L- Bye, Bye L- Man. Look, we got to watch Dune today. That is the one thing on the schedule. Yes, we're going to see Dune. We're going to see Worm.
1: Yes, we're going to see worm.
0: We got to see the worm. I'm going, be, I'm going to be screaming, <laughs>
1: hollering
0: in <laughs> in the uh in the movie theater when the, they when the worm is there, revealed.
1: There should be, you know, I I understand respecting the movies, but there should be one one showing per day per theater where you can just where it's all about just hollering at the worm. Hollering at the worm. And that's approved. Give, right. give it a shot, see see how upset people get at you. Um, but then
0: also, we need to watch uh, The Shining later. Yeah, we've got a big. Neither of us have ever seen The Shining. No, it's I don't even know what it October. is. October. the
1: what the f is The Shining? But
0: this isn't about The Shining. This is about David Foster Wallace's seminal novel Infinite Jest.
1: Infinite Jest. Where we'll, we'll we'll keep the, it's a, you know, it's a little spooky, a little scary. <laughs> is, is this part? I don't so know.
0: So you, you're telling me that the this next se- segment is more Clipperton, and I'm already disappointed because it seems like something that should only have been mentioned once here. Uh, call me Tame Impala because the less I know, the better about Eric Clipperton. I think
1: you'll be satisfied by the okay, return great. of Clipperton. I'm going to
0: eat this frittata while you tell me about Eric Clipperton.
1: During that last pre-subsidized year after each tournament's perfunctory final at the little post-final award presentations and dance, Eric Clipperton would attend unarmed and eat maybe a little shaved turkey from the buffet and mutter out of the side of his slot-like mouth to Mario Incandenza and would stand there expressionless and receive his outsized first-place trophy amid witheringly slight and scattered applause and would melt into the crowd soon after and dematerialize back to wherever he lived and trained and target practiced. (laughs) Clipperton, by this time, must have had a whole mantle plus bookcases worth of tall USTA trophies. Each USTA trophy, a marbled plastic base with a tall metal boy on top, arched in mid-serve, looking rather like a wedding cake groom with a very good outside slider.
0: Tall metal boy would be a good band name.
1: Yeah. Clipperton must have been just broke out in, pla- in brass and plastic, but he had no official ranking whatsoever. Since his Glock 9mm and public intentions were instantly legendary, he was regarded by the USTA as never having had a legitimate victory or even a legitimate match in sanctioned play. People on the junior tour sometimes asked Tiny Mario if that's why Eric Clipperton always seemed so terrifically glum and withdrawn and made such a big deal out of materializing and dematerializing at tournaments that the very tactic that let him win in the first place kept the wins, and in a way Clipperton himself from being treated as real. All of this until the erection of Onan and the inception (laughs) in Clipperton's 18th summer of subsidized time, the adverted year of the Whopper, when the USTA became the Onanta And some Mexican systems analyst who barely spoke English and had never once even fondled a ball and knew from exactly zilch except for crunching raw results data. This guy stepped in as manager of the Onanta computer and ranking center in Forest Lawn, New New York and didn't know uh, enough not to treat Clipperton's string of six major junior tournament championships that spring as sanctioned and real. And when the 1st biweekly issue of the trilingual North American Junior Tennis... <laughs>
0: that would be Spanish, French, and English? Uh, yes. Trilingual?
1: That's replaced American Junior Tennis comes out. There's one E.R. Clipperton, hometown Ind, ranked number one in boys continental 18 and unders. And competitive eyebrows ascend at all latitudes. And but everyone at ETA from shit on down is highly amused. And some of them wonder whether maybe now Eric Clipperton will put down his psychic queer ass and take his unarmed competitive chances with the rest of them now Now that he's got what he's surely been burning over and holding himself hostage for all along, a real and sanctioned number one. And the Continental Junior Clay Courts are coming up the following week in Indianapolis, uh, Indiana, and little Michael Pemulus of Alston <laughs> takes his power book and odds software and makes a killing on Vig in the frenzy of locker room wagering over whether Clipperton will even bother to materialize at Indy, Now that he's extorted himself to the sanctioned top he must have craved so terribly, or whether he'll retire from the tour now and lie around masturbating over the Glock in one hand (laughs) and the latest issue of (laughs) N-A-J-T in the other, which takes us...
0: a very early reference to a power book.
1: Yes. Yeah. Uh, That takes us to end note uh, 175, the both-hands-full logistics of which are hard to envision... But realism wasn't really the point of the image for the br- bitter brigade boys. Do you think
0: Foster David Foster Wallace had uh, any thoughts about uh, Steve Jobs?
1: That's a good question. I mean, I'm sure he must have had thoughts about computers.
0: They seem like similar types of guys, weirdly, you per, know?
1: Yeah, per, a perfectionist, the, product-oriented. Uh,
0: product Yeah, product-oriented, perfectionist, uh, ext- uh, men, men of thoughtful extremes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, je- big... Gen Xers,
1: yeah, u- uniform guys, uniform guys. Uh, Steve never played. Do you sports. think Steve
0: Jobs read David Foster Wallace?
1: I don't think he was a big reader. I don't. I I couldn't say. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm I'm not. I'm not intimately familiar with the library of Steve Jobs. But well, I, think I know you're a big Jobs. And I love I into love both him. of them. Yeah, yeah. They're I two have, of your guys. They're two of my problematic faves. <laughs> yes. Uh, Steve Jobs of course was horrible to his his first daughter and thought he could cure cancer by drinking juice. Yeah. And he invented two, the, two gra- guys, the greatest technology. Honestly, pro- look, <laughs> jo- Jobs and and Wallace like
0: two guys who maybe thought too much and maybe Jobs was like they're they're <laughs> they're the opposite sides. They both died early. One by thinking they could outthink life and one by thinking they thought too much about life and had to kill themselves.
1: <laughs> yeah. Maybe something like that. Yeah. Um, back to the text. And so everyone's taken aback when Eric Clipperton, of all people, suddenly appears at the ETA front gates portcullis on a rainy, warm late a.m. two days before the clays, wearing a flap frayed trench type coat and toe abraded sneakers and a five day growth of arm-pity adolescent beard but without any sticks or anything in the way of competitive gear, not even his Glock 17's custom-made wooden case, and he makes the cold-eyed part-time portcullis attendant from the halfway place down the hill just about lean on the intercom buzzer, pleading for entry and counsel. He's in a terrible way, (laughs) is the portcullis attendant's intercom diagnosis, and rules about non-enrolled junior players being on academy's grounds are strict and complex, and but little Mario and Incondenza sways down the steep path to the portcullis (laughs) in the warm rain and interfaces with Clipperton through the bars, and has the attendant hold the intercom button down for him, and personally requests that Clipperton be admitted under a special non-play codicil to the regulations, <laughs> saying the kid is truly in desperate psychic straits. Mario speaking first to lateral Alice Moore, and then to his pro-rector Cantrell, and then to the headmaster himself, as Clipperton stares wordlessly up at the little wrought iron racket heads that serve as spikes (laughs) at the top of the portcullis and fencing around ETA. His expression so blackly haunted that even the hard-boiled attendant told some of the people back at the halfway place later that the spectral trench-coated figure had given him sobriety's worst phantods so far. And J.O. and Condenza finally lets Clipperton in over Cantrell's and then Stitt's vehement objections when it's established that clipperton wants only a few private minutes to obtain the counsel of incandenza senior himself who of whom i think we can presume mario's spoken glowingly to clipperton and incandenza while not strictly sober is lucid and has a very low melting point of compassion for traumas connected with early success and so up goes the portcullis and the clipperton and the two incandenses go at high noon up to an unused top floor room in sub-dorm C of East House, the structure nearest the front gate, for some sort of psycho-existential CPR session or something. Mario has never spoken of what he got to sit in on, not even at night to Hal when Hal's trying to go to sleep. But it's a matter of record that at some point, first ETA counselor Dolores Rusk was beeped by himself at her Winchester home, and then her beep was canceled, and then lateral Alice Moore was beeped and asked with due speed to get Lyle up from the weight room slash sauna and over to East House ASAP, and that at some point, while Lyle was de-lotusing from the dispenser and making his way with sideways lateral Alice to this emergency-type huddle, at some point in this interval, in front of Dr. James Owen Condenza and Amario, whose tiny, borrowed, head-clamped Bolex uh, uh, H128 condensa required Clipperton to consent to having digitally record the whole crisis conversation to protect ETA from the Onanta's Kafka-esque rules on unregistered recipients of any sort of counsel at U.S. academies. At some point, with Lyle in transit, Clipperton pulls out of various pockets in his wet, complicated coat an elaborately altered copy of NAJT's biweekly ranking report, a sepiaed snapshot of some way-faced Midwestern couple's wedding, and the hideous blunt-barreled Glock uh, 17 9mm semi-automatic, which, even as Bolton condenses, reach for the sky, Clipperton places to his right, not left, temple, as in with his good right stick hand, closes his eyes and scrunches up his face and blows his legitimated brains out for real and all time, eradicates his map and then some. And then there's just an ungodly subsequent mess in there, and the incondenses respectively stagger and totter from the room, all green-gilled and red mist-stained, and because reports of Lyle's appearance outside the weight room, upright and walking across the grounds, have spread and caused enormous excitement and student snapshots, uh, it's because it was just as Lyle and L.A. Moore hit the upstairs hallway that they're reeled out of the room in a miasma of cordite and ghastly mist that they're preserved in various snapshots as resembling miners of some sort of really grisly coal."
0: He did it, the boy did it. Uh, I, I just have to say, like, as I'm he I'm pictur- having this read to me and picturing it in my mind, for how seriously this book is taken, how cartoonish of a segment th- that is.
1: Right. Yeah. It's very like, like- all
0: those collection of characters, what we know of Mario, what we know of Lyle what we know of J.O. Uh, and Condenza this guy uh, this this very serious tennis student blowing his brains out in a dorm room a, dorm room this woman who can only move sideways yeah. like like all of those people together
1: a man who's usually seen uh in in full lotus on the top of a paper towel Tail dispenser dispensary. walking through campus <laughs> yeah, yeah. and everyone being like I imagine what, him what the in
0: hell? like a, a diaper weirdly you know like one of those like Basically like
1: a Gandhi diaper. Yeah, like yeah, a yeah, yeah. cloth diaper. Yeah, exactly. I, I also imagine that as well. I actually don't know what clothes he wears if anyone wants to remind uh me. I would say the Gandhi diaper and
0: a uh, Hawaii, and a, uh Hawaiian shirt. <laughs> I like think, like a um Yeah. Oh god, the parrot heads. Who's that guy? Um, Jimmy Buffett. Like yeah, a Jimmy Buffett Hawaiian shirt and a uh cloth diaper. Jiminy Jimmy Buffett. Jiminy Buffett. Anyway.
1: Yeah, it's that's, it that's, very that's cartoonish. Fu- that's
0: fucking absurd what you just <laughs> read to me. Yeah. It's very goofy.
1: People in the competitive junior tennis community somehow regarded it as healthy that Mario and Condenza's perfectly even smile never faltered even through tears at Clipperton's funeral. The funeral was poorly attended. (laughs) It turned out Eric Clipperton had hailed from Crawfordsville, Indiana, where his ma was a late-stage Valium addict and his ex-soybean farmer Pa, blinded in the infamous hailstorms of BS-94, now spent all day every day playing with one of those little wooden paddles with a red rubber ball attached by elastic string (laughs) Paddleball with an understandable lack of success. And the tranquilized and sightless Clippertons had no clue about where Eric had even disappeared off to most weekends, and bought his explanation that all the tall trophies came from an after-school job as a freelance tennis trophy designer, (laughs) the parents apparently not being exactly the two brightest bulbs in the great U.S. parental light show. They held the interment uh under a threat of rain in Vetersburg, Indiana, where there's a budget cemetery and himself skipped Indianapolis and took Mario to the first of his life's two funerals so far. And It was probably moving that Incondensa acceded to Mario's request that nothing get filmed or documented at the funeral for himself's junior tennis documentary. Mario probably told Lyle all about everything back down in the weight room, but he sure never told, told Hal or the moms, and himself was already in and out of rehabs and hardly a credible source on much of anything by this point. But Incondenza did let uh, Mario insist that no one else get to clean up the scene in Sub-Dorm C after Enfield's finest had come and peered around and drawn a chalk ectoplasm around Clipperton's sprawled form and written things down in little spiral notebooks, which they kept checking against one another with maddening care. And then EMTs had zipped Clipperton up in a huge rubber bag and taken him down and out on a wheeled stretcher with retractable legs they had to retract on all the stairs. <laughs> Lyle was long gone by this time. It took the Brady Kinetic Mario all night and two bottles of Ajax Plus to clean the room with his tiny contractured arms and square feet. The 18s girls in the rooms on either side could hear him falling around in there and picking himself up (laughs) again and again. And the finally spotless room in question had been locked ever since with its tasteless sign. Except G. Stitt holds a special key, and when an ETA junior whinges too loudly about some tennis-connected vicissitude or hardship or something, he's invited to go chill for a bit in the Clipperton suite to maybe (laughs) meditate on some of the other ways to succeed beside (laughs) votaried self-transcendence and gut-sucking-in and hard daily slogging toward a distant goal you can then maybe, if you get there, live with. I think that's the last of Clipperton.
0: That's the last of Clipperton. All, all I want to say that might be my. Uh, you know, <laughs> I said that I I was disappointed that he came back and we saw. You know, I was worried that we were going to see too much, but that might be my favorite chapter in the book so far.
1: It is pretty amazing, right? Yeah. Um. the The thing I want to say is that having i've only had to do this once uh clean up of what i thought was kind of a large amount of blood oh yes it is very hard to clean blood (laughs) we both had
0: to do that together we both
1: had to do that together we will
0: withhold the the uh the the, details the the, the details of it everyone's fine everyone's fine uh (laughs) <laughs> because it, it it is known
1: it is known but uh it, i gotta say even uh a non you know non-shooting one in the head amount of blood was a real bitch and a half to clean up so i cannot imagine being mario <laughs> yeah. and Condenza trying to clean up a suicide scene
0: can i i think i've I, i've told you this story before but um that reminded me drawing the chalk ectoplasm. Yeah,
1: about the fr- the friend.
0: The friend. Yeah, I think it's worth telling on the. Say, pod. Yeah, say it again. Uh, I was very young, and my dad- wait. I think
1: you you have said this on the pod. Have I? Yeah. Really? Yeah. About uh, like someone uh, uh committed or uh, uh, completed uh, suicide, and you yeah. asked if they drew a chalk o- outline. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I've, so, said, sorry. I've said this on the pod. You, you, yeah, you said okay. this on on this podcast. Okay, great. I believe.
0: Well, uh. You know, we. T- I guess we end up talking about suicide a lot. On
1: but this, yeah, these, The last time was when uh, it was the story of himself in the microwave. In the microwave, okay. And they drew like I think they were saying that they like couldn't bother drawing a chalk outline because <laughs> he had basically been like completely obliterated. obliterated yeah,
0: uh, that is. The, a very grim joke of Mario of the one of two funerals that he's been to in his life. And the other one is his father. Yeah,
1: that, that boy's be, been through a lot, and his smile
0: never fades. I love Mario.
1: I love him too, falling falling <laughs> down and getting up over and over again. <laughs> All right, let's let's do a little more. Let's do
0: a little more. Maybe this will be a, a shorter episode, but yeah, let's let's do a little bit more. Yeah,
1: let's let's keep it rolling. We're we're getting through this fucking book. Yeah. All right. It was Ennett House's assistant director, Annie P., who coined the phrase that Don Gately sunlights on the side. (laughs) 5 a.m.s a a week, whether he's just getting off all-night staff duty or not, he has to be on the inbound green line by 0430 hours to then catch two more trains to his other job at the Shattuck Shelter for Homeless Males down in bombed-out Jamaica Plain. Gately has become, in sobriety, a janitor. (laughs) He mops down broad, cot-strewn floors with antifungal delousing solvents, likewise the walls, He scrubs toilets. The relative cleanliness of the Shattuck's toilets might seem surprising until you head into the shower area with your equipment and face mask. Half the guys in the Shattuck are always incontinent. There's human waste in the showers on a daily fucking basis. (laughs) Stavros lets him attach an industrial hose to a nozzle and spray the worst of the shit away from a distance before Gately has to go in there with his mop and brushes and solvents and his mask. Cleaning the Shattuck only takes three hours since he and his partner got the routine down tight. Gately's partner is also the guy that owns the company that contracts with the Commonwealth for the Shaddock's maintenance. A guy like 40 or 50, Stavros Loboculus, Lob- <laughs> uh, a, <troubling, laughs> a troubling guy with a long cigarette filter, an enormous collection of women's shoes catalogs he keeps piled behind the seats in the cab of his 4x4. <laughs> so at 0800... At like 0800 usually they're done and by vendor's contract still get to bill for eight hours. Stavros L. only pays Gately for three but it's sub table. And Gately heads back to government center to take the westbound Greenie back up Commonwealth to Ennet House to put on his black eye patch mask thing and sleep till 1200 hours and the afternoon shift.
0: Oh I need to buy another one of those black eye patch mask thingies. Yeah. I lost mine on a flight Uh, but you know what? Highly recommend Very uh, sleep masks. Great.
1: Stavros L. himself gets a couple hours off to footwear browse. Gately very much needs to assume that's all he does with the catalogs is browse. (laughs) Then has to head over to Pine Street Inn, the biggest and foulest homeless shelter in all of Boston, where Stavros and two other broke and desperate yutzes from another of the halfway houses. Stavros cruises for cheap labor, will spend four hours cleaning, and then build the state for six. The inmates at the Shaddock suffer from every kind of physical and psychological and addictive and spiritual difficulty you could ever think of, specializing in ones that are repulsive. There are colostomy bags and projectile vomiting and cirrhotic discharges and missing limbs and misshapen heads and incontinence and Kaposi's sarcoma, and separating sores, and all different levels of enfeeblement. Separating? No. And impulse control deficit and damage. Schizophrenia is like the norm. (laughs) Guys in DTs treat the heaters like TVs and leave broad spatter paintings of coffee over the walls of the barracks. There are industrial buckets for AM puking that they seem to treat like golfers treat the pin on like a golf course, aiming in its vague direction from a distance. (laughs) There's one sort of blocked off and more hidden corner over near the bank of little lockers for valuables that's always got sperm moving slowly down the walls. Ew. And way too much sperm for like w- just one or two guys either. <laughs> the whole place smells like death no matter what the fuck you do. Gately gets to the shelter at oh, uh, 0459.9 hours and just shuts his head off as if his head has a kind of control switch. He screens input with a fucking vengeance the whole time. The barracks' cots reek of urine and have insect activity observable. Ew. These state employees who supervise the shelter at night are dead-eyed and watch softcore tapes behind the desk and are all around Gately's size and build, and he's been approached to maybe work there himself nights, supervising more than once, and has said thanks anyway, and always screws right out of there at 08.01 hours and rides the greenie back up the hill with his gratitude battery totally recharged.
0: <laughs> uh, I would One thing that I would say about David Foster Wallace, like if I was writing a sincere review of this, book is that you got to hand it to the guy he knows how to be gross.
1: Yeah, it's, it's disgusting. He,
0: he loves he loves just be like just dis- describing the d- most disgusting the most, thing you've yeah. ever heard.
1: Yes. Of. That human bodies do. Yeah. It's it's very like
0: What 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 is the name of the thing? Advanced basics. It's it's mature immaturity. You know, yeah. There's A lot a lot of this. Right. It's it's very sophomoric, but like written with the the biggest brain that you've ever seen. You yeah. Know?
1: Yeah. What if a very smart guy talked about how <laughs> gross? How gross? Like
0: jizzing on the wall. <laughs> here's here's yeah. Here's forty words to describe the amount of jizz on the wall of this homeless shelter. <laughs>
1: Janitoring the Shattuck for Stavros Lobaculus was was the, <laughs> <Stavros> the mean. <menial. laughs> I just like the he's a disconcerting guy. Well, when we
0: uh, when we do our um, a
1: troubling guy. When
0: we do our uh, our miniseries, or when we get to make uh, the the Infinite Jest miniseries, we'll cast Stavros. As Stavros. <laughs> sure. Uh,
1: janitoring the Shadow for Stavros Loboculus was the menial job Gately had landed with only three days to go on his month's deadline to find some honest job as a resident, and he's kept it ever since. The males in the Shaddock are supposed to be up and out by 0500 hours, regardless of weather or DTs, to let Gately and Stavros L. clean. Uh, But some never screw out of there on time, and these these are always the worst guys, the ones you don't want any place near you, the ones that won't leave. They'll clump behind Gately and watch him jet feces off the shower tiling, treating it like a sport and yelling encouragement and advice. They'll, (laughs) They'll cringe and ass kiss when the supervisor heaves himself on by to tell him to get out, and then when he leaves, not get out. A couple have those little shaved patches on their arms. They'll lie, uh, which I believe is uh, uh, indicative of a knife carrier, Okay. uh, if if you're that kind of guy. They'll lie in the cots and hallucinate and thrash and scream in the cots and knock army blankets off onto the floors Gately's trying to mop. They'll skulk back over to the little dark spermy corner the minute Gately's got done scrubbing the night's sperm off and has backed away and started (laughs) again to inhale. Maybe the worst is that there's always one or two guys in the shadow who Gately knows personally from his days of addiction and B&E from before he got to the no-choice point and surrendered his will to saying straight at any cost. These guys are always 25 to 30 and look 45 to 60 and are a better ad for sobriety at any cost than any ad agency could come up with. Gately will slip them a finski or a pack of cools and maybe sometimes try to talk a little AA to them if they seem like maybe they're ready to give up. With everybody else in the shadow, Gately adopts this expression where he lets them know he's ignoring them totally as long as they keep their distance. But it's a look that says street and jail and not to <laughs> fuck with him. If they get in his way, Gately will star- stare hard at a point just behind their heads until they move off. The protective face mask helps. Stavros Lobaculous's great ambition which he goes on about regularly to Gately when they're cleaning the same barracks, Stavros's dream is to utilize his unique combination of entrepreneurial drives and janitorial savvy and flares for creative billing and find des- finding desperate recovering halfway house guys who will scrub shit for next to nothing to pile up enough money to open a women's shoe store in some mobily upward part of Boston where the women are healthy and upscale and have good feet and can afford to take care of their feet. He at least spends a lot of the time around Stop Rose nodding and not saying really much that's of a, anything. It's a very
0: married with children thing. Well, what, I don't, I'm the, not familiar. Uh, the Al Bundy was a shoe salesman. He was a shoe it, did that, he, did he Was he a foot purr? No, I think that it was very notable that they made him a women's shoe salesman, but he... Hated the job, hated feet, hated,
1: hated oh, women, wow. frankly. They should trade. <laughs> they should trade.
0: Uh, yes. Uh, but I don't know. It just seems like of that time of being, being like, you know, what's, what's a funny idea? A man who owns a woman's shoes store? Yes, that is funny. Yeah. Uh,
1: because what is there really to say about ambitious <laughs> career dreams involving feet? <laughs> but Gately will be paying court-scheduled restitution well into his 30s if he stays straight and needs the work. Foot thing or no foot thing. Stavros has allegedly been clean for eight years, but Gately has his private doubts about the spiritual quality of the sobriety involved. <laughs> E.g., like Stavros gets easily aggravated at the shadow guys that can't get up and out like they're supposed to and clear out. And almost daily, he'll make a production of throwing down his mop in the middle of the floor and throwing his head back to scream, why don't you sorry motherfucks just go home? <laughs> Which so far, for over 13 months, he hasn't quit finding hilarious his own witticism. Stavros. A little more? Um what are we what are we at? I mean, we're at like 25 minutes. Five, five more minutes? Yeah. Let's let's try. Let's Is there just, another little chunk? Yeah, there's, chunk here? there's a lot of other chunks. <laughs> but the whole Clipperton sh- saga highlights the ways there are certain very talented junior players who just cannot keep the lift stiff and fire stoked if they ever finally do achieve a top ranking or win some important event. Next to Clipperton, the most historically ghastly instance of this syndrome involved a kid from Fresno in Central California, also an unaffiliated kid. His dad, an architect or draftsman or something, functioned as his, his coach. His dad had played for UC Davis or Irvine or one of those. All the ETA staff really emphasized is that up here again was a kid without academy support and perspective, uh, who after upsetting two top seeds and winning the Pacific Coast Hardcourt Boys 18s and getting toasted wildly the post turney ceremony and ball and carried off on the shoulders of his dad and fresno teammates came home late that night and drank a big glass of nestle's quick laced with the sodium cyanide his dad kept around for ink for drafting drinks cyanitic quick in his family home's redecorated kitchen and keels over dead blue-faced and still with a ghastly mouthful of lethal quick Yeah, talk talk about cartoonish. Here we go. And apparently his dad hears the thump of the kid keeling over and rushes into the kitchen in his bathrobe and leather slippers and tries to give the kid mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. And but gets the odd bit of NACN laced quick in his own mouth from the kid and also keels over and turns bright blue and dies. And then the mom rushes in in a mud mask and fluffy slippers and sees them both lying there, bright blue and stiffening. And she tries giving the architect dad mouth-to-mouth and is, of course, in short order, also lying there, keeled over and blue. (laughs) wherever she's not mud-colored from the mask. <laughs> and But anyway, dead as a rivet. And since the family has six more various-age kids, who, as the night wears on, come in from dates or patter down the stairs in little pajamas with adorable little pajama feet attached to them, drawn by the noise of all the cumulative keeling over. Plus, I should mention the odd, agonized gurgle sound. And plus, since all six kids had gone through a four-hour rotary-sponsored CPR course at (laughs) Fresno's (laughs) YMCA, by the end of the night, the whole family's lying there, blue-hued and stiff as posts, with incrementally tinier amounts of lethal quick smeared around their rictus grimaced mouths. And in sum, this whole instance of unprepared goal attainment trauma is unbelievably gruesome and sad, and it's one historical reason why all accredited tennis academies have to have a PhD-level counselor on full-time staff to screen student-athletes for their possibly lethal reactions to ever actually reaching the level they've been pointed at for years. ETA's staff counselor is the bird-of-prey-faced Dr. Dolores Rusk, MS, PhD, and she's regarded by the kids as whatever's just slightly worse than useless. You You go in there with an issue and all she'll do is make a cage of her hands and look abstractly over the cage at you and take the last dependent clause of whatever you say and repeat it back to you with an interrogative lilt. <laughs> Possible homosexual attraction to your doubles partner? Whole sense of yourself as a purpose—a of male athlete messed with? Uncontrolled boner during semis at Cleveland? Drive you bats when people just parrot you instead of responding? Having trouble keeping from twisting my twittery head off like a game hen's? all with an expression she probably thinks looks blandly deep, but really looks like exactly the way a face girl's, uh, <laughs> which, which really looks exactly the way a girl's face looks when she's dancing with you, but would really rather be dancing with just about anyone else in the room. <laughs> Only the very newest ETA players ever go to Rusk, and then not for long, and she spends her massive blocks of free time in her comm ad office doing involved acrostics, and working on some sort of pop psych manuscript, the first pa- four pages of which Axford and Shaw dickied her lock and had a look at, and counted 29 appearances of the prefix self. <laughs> Lyle, a d. De- a dewimpled Carmelite who works the kitchen day shift, occasionally Mario and Condensa, and many times Avril herself take up most of the psychic slack for practical purposes among ETAs in the now. De wimpled carmelite, it's possible. W- that oh,
0: wait, th- that's a an unnamed, character, an un- works unnamed it, character in the cafeteria. That it is
1: implied that, uh, if you're working at the kitchen at eta you're probably uh, Enfield House. Um, oh, person, okay, yeah, so yeah, 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 Whatever reason they got de probably had to do with uh, addiction <laughs> problems. Maybe they were drinking the uh, um, communion wine. <laughs> uh, de wimpled carmelite, what a good phrase, yeah. It's possible that the only junior tennis players who can win their way to the top and stay there without going bats are the ones who are already bats, or else who seem to be just grim machines a la John Wayne. Wayne's sitting low on his spine in the dining hall with the other Canadian kids, watching the screen and squeezing a ball without any readable expression. Oh my God, we're That's still, right, we're still watching, watching the fucking uh, puppet movie. documentary, <laughs> if you can believe that. Hal's eyes are fevered and rolling around in his head and actually by this time a lot of the eyes in the eye day audience have lost a bit of that festive sparkle though there's a certain chortle momentum left over from the film's self-felonious gentle slash clipperton comparisons the Rodney Tyne Luria P love rumor and Tyne as Benedict Arnold thing seems brow clutchingly slow and digressive which takes us to end note 176. It's also where Mario's most derivative of himself, whose own Onantiad, was more centrally concerned with doomed high office claymation romance than with political comment. Though the love thing in Incandenza Sr.'s film had concerned not Tyne and a Quebecois fatale, but an alleged doomed and unconsummated affair between President Jay Gentle and the equally hygiene and germ-obsessed wife of Canada's Minister of Environment and Resource Development Enterprises the affair presented as doomed and unconsummated because the minister hires a, malevol- a malevolent young Canadian candida albicans specialist to induce in his wife a severe and more or less permanent yeast infection, driving both wife and Gentle to ardent desire versus hygienic neurosis breakdowns, during which the wife throws herself across the tracks in front of a Quebecois bullet train, mm-hmm. and Gentle decides to exact his revenge on a macro scale. The Onantian was not himself's strongest effort by a long shot, Pretty much everybody around ETA agrees that Mario's own reconfiguration explanation parody is funnier and more accessible than himself, if also a bit heavier-handed. <laughs> which takes us back to the text. Plus, there's some retroactive puzzlement because the advent of subsidized time is historically known to have been a revenue response to the heady costs of the U.S.'s reconfigurative giveaway, which means it must have come after formal interdependence. And indeed, in the film, it does come after but then the chronology of some of the end makes it seem like Tyne sold Johnny Gentle on his whole sino-temporal endorsement revenue scheme sometime in Oregon in Condenza's first major sport year at Boston U, which ended in year of the Whopper, pretty obviously <laughs> a subsidized year. By this time, the ETAs are eating more slowly, playing in that idle postprandial way with the orts on their plates, and people's hats are making some people's heads itch, and plus everybody's sugar crashing a bit. And one of the really small ETA kids crawling around with a bottle of adhesive under the tables has whacked his head on the sharp edge of an institutional chair and is in Avril Eyes lap, crying with a desolate late-day hysteria that makes everybody feel jagged. <laughs> <laughs> do, do, you, do you want some more uh, uh, headlines, or should we call it?
0: L- let's read the headlines. I see the big, bold bold type, but I want to hear them, and uh, uh, then we'll call it after the headlines. Okay.
1: Gentle at large, superheader, tours new, new, new England border amid tight security. Header: Wax champagne bottles against massive lucite walls south of what used to be Syracuse, Concord, New Hampshire, Salem, Massachusetts. Ten points up. Header: Gentle, more or less at large. Watches from oxygenated porta bubble as Clemson downs Boston U in Las Vegas's Forsythia Bowl. Header from that guy who's now reduced to laying out headlines for the Rantoul, Illinois Eagle. Cranial cranially challenged ac- acromegalic infants lost in experialist shuffle. Editorial header in Ithaca, New York's daily Odyssean daily Odyssean from Ithaca Yeah, gentle cabinet to draft budget overhaul in light of wall street uh, angst over costs of territorial reconfiguration header administration heads put together on missile inversion expenditures, relocation costs, loss of revenue from better part of four states subheader. All right, let's call it there. Let's call it. Um, that there's your um, huge the, skullless uh, feral infants. <laughs> that they they appear to be some uh, uh, ba- babies babies left behind <laughs> in the big uh, move south.
0: You know what I was just thinking about there. Um, you know we talk about how prescient this b- book is about a lot of things. Uh, you know there's not really a American reconfiguration, but you know what is getting reconfigured right now? What England?
1: England? Yes, you are so right.
0: With, uh, like, you know, we were just in England and we were being told like what the deal is with like, uh, you know, the Brexit, uh, by, um, you know, friend of Chapo, uh, um, Marcus, who's been on, uh, Chapo to talk about, uh, UK politics. He, he, uh, shout out. He came down to London to hang out with us while we were there. Um. And he was telling us about, uh, you know, Brexit politics and specifically Northern Ireland mm-hmm. and Ireland getting reconfigured basically back into each other due to like, you know, UK leaving the EU and and stuff like, mm-hmm. you know, it's not quite the same as as combining Mexico, America and Canada into one thing. But, you know, it is a reconfiguration.
1: It's a reconfiguration that that that's happening.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this was a very funny segment.
1: <laughs> very funny, very very dark.
0: <laughs> very dark, very funny. This is this is like him op- this is the book operating at its at both its uh like most grossly uh d- bleak but also funniest. Yeah. You you got to laugh. You
1: got. <laughs> yeah, it is it's I don't, I don't know, the there's something with the a homeless shelter that's both just like the most disgusting annoying thi- thing that like yeah you know obviously like get th- that's hard to think of like a shittier job in some ways than hosing uh poop yeah. off the walls of the shower of a homeless shelter but then you know he he leaves with his gratitude it's very there before the, the yeah. grace of god go i like all, all it would take is one you know me- meltdown bender or whatever or mm-hmm. one like injury while you're uh do- doing your weird hood rat shit with your friends or whatever <laughs> gately was doing yeah And he could be in that fucking shelter.
0: Uh, Don Gately has good mindset.
1: Yeah, I I forget. I believe we passed the passage already where um, Pat Pat Montes, you know, like one of his uh, superiors, or no, maybe his sponsor was like, don't shut down, like, don't don't shut your brain down. Like try to like uh mm-hmm. tr- try to be like more present. And he's like he did that for like thirty seconds and was like, no, <laughs> I can't. The, be- actually, actually, the best no. mindset I can be in is basically like being half pre. Like yeah. my my best self is uh just actively screening for all stimuli and just trying to get through the day because I don't know if you know this, but uh my day sucks. <laughs> <laughs>
0: you say that uh, there's a segment coming up where he cooks. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I can't. I'm I can't wait. That.
1: He's responsible for making uh making meals in the in the yeah. house. Um, <laughs> I, I, I guess I'm trying to
0: unspool, like exactly what. Obviously, like, w- one of the big themes of this book is, uh, you know, success early in your life that fucks you up or the expectation of success early in your life that fucks you up. Mm-hmm. But, you know, th- this is basically a double segment of people of, you know, the cautionary tale of uh, kids in the tennis program not being able to cope with success. Yeah. Um, in various ways. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I, I guess it's it's yet to be seen exactly where that thread is going uh other than like that it is something that the book is preoccupied with that it it, yeah it fucks you up being good at something
1: right or like it fucks you up being bad at something and it fucks you up being good at something i think it's like what what i was thinking is that you know they were talking about uh there's a segment a few episodes ago where people are going to Lyle for various reasons, mm-hmm. various problems. And there was that one guy, I think his name's Lamont Chu, and he's obsessed with fame. Oh, yes. He's uh, obsessed yeah. with the idea of, uh, you know, being getting, a famous tennis guy. Being a famous tennis guy. And then I feel like this is like the next level. Is was like, these people aren't even obsessed with being famous. They're just obsessed with winning and like the idea of being number mm-hmm. one. And then even that is me, like it's, it's kind of like when you look at, when you look at your life and you look at what your goals are <laughs> and if like the goal is to like be the best, it's mm-hmm. like, well, why? Yes. And then what, and what then, what do you do when you're the best? Or it's, I, I want to like win this or I want to like do this and then you do it. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, well, there's some more life to live. So now yes. what?
0: Yeah. I mean it being good at something like tennis or I don't know, writing or acting or any, any of those rarefied fields, I don't know. I, I think about this a lot with like Olympic sports, you know,
1: mm-hmm.
0: where it's like, and I think we were talking about this particularly around gymnastics. It's like if yeah. you end up having like the right body type and like get put in a gymnastics program and you get recognized from the age of like, I don't know, five or six, like, oh, this girl might be a great gymnast. Yeah. You don't really have much of a choice in that. Like when you start getting put through the shoot, Yes. of Of being like you, you end up in the position where you are like one of the, I don't know, 25 people on earth who might be like com- competitive competition level at this thing. And yeah. then you just kind of have to do it.
1: And then, yeah. And then it costs a lot of money. It takes over your entire life. You're not allowed. You basically can't have a personal life or any, mm-hmm. anything outside of the sport. You're devoting your entire life to it. Yeah. And then if you, you, the best thing you can do is win a gold medal at the Olympics for, mm-hmm. you know, the fucking all round <laughs> like yeah. competition. Yeah. And then what? And then what? You will be a coach and then have other people do this thing that you did or like you might be a commentator or a judge uh, or you might own a gym uh, yeah. and that's it. Like, you know, like it's a, it's a, the the idea of being really good at a a sport as a child is a microcosm of just like the rat race of life yeah. in a way of like what is an accomplishment. What is the point? What is the point of it all? What is the point? Hanging out with your friends.
0: <laughs> you might as well go into the job interview with a Glock point in your head. <laughs> and say, give me the job, or I give you the
1: trying. job, or I'm going to, or I'm going to kill myself. Or I'm
0: going to KMS. <laughs> Uh, who is that? Wait, what's the the guy's name? The the tennis guy you're obsessed with, Andre. Uh, Andre
1: Agassi. He hates tennis. He hates tennis and always has. <laughs> That's the. Nothing
0: could be funnier than Andre Agassi. One of the Agassi. greatest. One
1: of the greatest tennis, tennis players of all time. <laughs> That's a fucking and he hates tennis <laughs> and he went da- on the record saying so.
0: <laughs> That's a fucking David and Foster you, Wallace. Joke. And you know
1: what? He, I, I might just have to do a sub podcast where I like just, just talk, talk about, about his Andre memoir Agassi. and talk about Andre <laughs> Agassi. But what, what is his meaning for him? I'm not saying this is none of this is a um, prescriptive overarching yeah. like no, this does not apply to everybody. But at the end of the day, he ended up with a, a wife that he's obsessed with and had a bunch of kids yes I'm not saying that that's the meaning of life is to get married and have children but you need- but he said he, he certainly <laughs> needed it in his life because tennis alone was driving him insane that is
0: the par- that is the parable he is one of the like what top 10 guys in the world for a thing that he hates and, yeah. the, and the meaning that he needs in his life guess what it's yeah. not tennis yeah it's uh finding a hot lady that you love to make, make he, babies the ho- with. Although the
1: hot lady that he made babies with it, is one of the greatest female tennis players of all time. So clearly it's like. Do you tennis think they just mindset. talk about
0: how much tennis sucks all the time?
1: Uh, I don't know. I would, lo- <laughs> I would. love to sit down at breakfast <laughs> just, at the breakfast table with them and see. I just you.
0: love that uh, a night after a night of passionate lovemaking and they're you know they're pouring their cereal around the uh you know in the the kitchen in the morning being like ugh. Off to the tennis factory. Yeah,
1: well, the, and that's the, the other thing. Another
0: that, gr- grueling day with the with those yellow balls that uh, we both hate.
1: Yeah. Uh, he the the other thing that Andre Agassi got into was uh, he, I believe he opened a a Vegas charter school. <laughs> because he's like education is really important and like i was such a little little fuck and like yep. i i bit, like kind of barely made it out of my childhood with my ass intact because because i was militantly playing tennis but like also just maybe like a good school would be would be good for kids i you know char- charter schools i i know there's some problems there but uh he, i th- i thought that that's another honorable thing that isn't tennis
0: andre agassi is a is a very David Foster Wallace character. Did David Foster Wallace ever write about Andre Agassi?
1: Mm, not that I'm aware Another
0: of. Another Gen X titan around the same like these guys are all on like Gen X uh, yeah. uh, Mount Rushmore, you know? Yeah, it's true. Steve Jobs, uh, Andre
1: Agassi, <laughs> David Foster Wallace. Well, the who's
0: I, the who's the fourth of that? For, the the know.
1: other yeah, who was the fourth guy in in that um, Matrix? The um the other thing to bring back about Steve Jobs, if you're just like talking about the difference between Steve Jobs and David Foster Wallace <laughs> or the similarities, is that like one of the Steve Jobs' things, the famous things, is that he dropped a lot of acid when he was younger, and it made him appreciate like you know, the psychedelic experience of music to the point where he did the iTunes visualizer because he's like, this is this is like something cool to look at while you're playing <laughs> iTunes. Like, Damn!
0: Remember the iTunes visualizer? What a vibe!
1: I lo- dude. How much time did I spend looking yeah, at the and iTunes visualizer? And sitting I hadn't in a even dorm room drugs.
0: with the fucking with the PowerBook open and Steve, the iTunes visualizer on. He was
1: a vibe. That's why I, I like Steve Jobs. At the end of the day, It's like he was a true a true psycho, but he was uh, he was a vibes guy. He was a vibes guy. He was a
0: vibes curator. He was
1: he was always trying to curate the the vibes of uh, consumer technology products. And yeah. we, are, we are the better for it. And ever since he died, there has not been one. The vibes cool, have been off. The of, vibes have been off. And of, no one is Apple making products. anything cool anymore. No one is thinking about the future. Everything is just, okay, well, we've dialed things down to a screen. Let's just make that screen as everything is screen. And
0: You know what? But the thing is, is that the screen does too much now. Yeah. It, I open the screen. And I'm like, there's too much. There, I've got too much fucking shit on me. There's
1: too much fucking shit on me
0: uh i can't there's there's too much shit inside here. It needs to be simplified uh you know what uh the original iPod was a vibe, and that was the most important thing about it uh infinite jest is a vibe
1: it's a vibe it's a it one of the you know not to get too too in the weeds, but one of the things that uh Steve Jobs did when he first created his Apple in uh the seventies or whatever it was um The the idea of imputing, like, qualities uh, Mm -hmm. in the products that he made. Not just in the products, but in the packaging. Like, basically the idea is, like, everything that goes into the making of this thing has to, like, create a vibe. Yes. It has to impute a vibe. Mm -hmm. And you know what imputes a vibe? A giant book. Just the biggest (laughs) book that you've ever seen. That imputes. That is, you see a person holding that big-ass book on the subway or whatever. We're like, yeah. okay. Okay. Okay, oh, we you know. okay. <laughs> oh, okay. All, right. all, right. Oh, we all got, right. We got a live one on our hands. <laughs> so I don't know. I I think I'm right. miss, missing that in life. The, and more people need to do that.
0: The one thing that I'll ask to try to uh, dry, like tie it all up, do you think if you described the, thi- the whole thing about Eric Clipperton to Andre Agassi, he would be like, me, IRL? or like yes he is would he would he like sympathize
1: yeah I would I would think if you told if you told him the fictional story about a guy who yeah but buzzed through yeah absolutely he I think uh, Andre Agassi would completely understand that the mind body connection (laughs) via tennis is something that uh, ends up being uh, completely disturbed because it happened to him yeah to uh, a to a certain extent and the the only other thing I, I wanted to tie it up all in is that you know bookending these uh or uh, er, sli- slicing up the Clipperton story about someone who is, you know, literally dies for a number one seed or like mm-hmm. ca- can't handle whatever happens to him when that happens. Then you've got these guys in the homeless shelter that like have, a, a lot of them is just like, no one has any control. Like Any kid at ETA could end up being in the Shattuck uh, homeless shelter. It's just an accident of like birth and circumstances and brain chemistry and uh, luck and maybe a little bit of uh, uh, personality and intention. Yeah, I don't know. That's 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 my thought on that anyway. Yeah. Why? <laughs> do just, you
0: disagree? No, I'm just like thinking like, I, I there's a lot of always a lot to talk about in this. In this yeah, book, you know, it's
1: a de- it's a dense loaf. It is a dense loaf. It's but like you know one what? of those German breads. It's like the really, the it's really like, um with nuts and berries. Nuts, and fish. Yeah, like nuts and <laughs> seeds, and it takes five minutes to just slice through it. Oh uh, man, uh,
0: I don't know. I don't know if I've got anything else. I mean, we could, we we could talk endlessly, but also about nothing. You know,
1: it, it ain't that the truth? Yeah, it, a, that's that's the podcast. That's the podcast. Uh, but we gotta wrap it up because
0: we do have to go see Dune. We must, which will be the sequel podcast to this. I mean, we, I, I it's, yeah, it feels in... stupid to to tease it because we're not gonna finish this book for another year and a half or something. But I think. When we're done reading Infinite Jest, I'm going to read Dune to Molly. Great. I can't wait. To figure out if Dune's good for the ladies.
1: (laughs) To figure it out. That's going to be tougher because, you know, all of these people have names like Eric Clipperton and Hal and Condenza, and it's going to be like, what's the character's name in Dune? Duncan Idaho. (laughs) Okay, that's fine. (laughs) That's a David Foster. Paul
0: Atreides. It is a David Foster. I guess
1: I just got to open my mind and be like, these are all normal names. The Potashar Emperor. (laughs) I might need. It would it be helpful if I had one of those like family trees in front of me to yeah, reference. Yo,
0: it's it's easy. Dune is, Dune's actually pretty easy. All right, you have to remember it's I'm like a sci-fi. Stu-
1: Every year I'm getting stupider. <laughs> Every <laughs> year I'm getting It's harder and you harder have to for me to remember that read it's new a, a sci-fi.
0: It's like it's like fucking Lord Lord of the Rings. It's a sci-fi book written in like the '60s. We didn't have. There wasn't that much shit we back then. We didn't have computers. <laughs> exactly. So it's not that complicated.
1: Every everything is is existing in the in the physical mm-hmm. world. You're you're not looking at a time when it's like, well, what's yeah, an app? Exactly. Uh, uh, Boromir does not has never has does never not know an... what a cell phone is. Yes, exactly. Uh, neither here's is a, it the man who invented Boromir.
0: Here's a guy named Paul. He has to learn to not be afraid of things so he can ride a big worm.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Let's worm. Go! Woo. Let's get this worm. Let's let's get this worm. Let's get this worm. <laughs> All right. Uh. Bye. Bye.